come to machine learning. The book is called Crash Proof. Probably in 2000, 2005, this was a very popular book. And it still applies. Even after 20 years, the principles still apply. The author starts by saying the financial U.S. financial markets are fighting a battle against trade and financial imbalances and are caused by dislocations too fundamental to reverse. The slippery slope is collapsed in dollar-denominated assets and a standard of living. What he means is the standard of living is financed by debt, the dollar-denominated assets is driven by oil, and the price of gold reflects the exchange for oil for gold in payments. The U.S. trade deficit in 2005 stood at $1 trillion. The U.S. society has shifted away from savings, shifted from manufacturing to services, reached near maximum levels of personal and national debt, and borrow money to finance excessive consumption of unproductive imported goods. Our impressive gross domestic product production growth dominated as it is by consumption is not a measure of how much wealth we have created but how much we have destroyed that's an interesting statement isn't it how much we have destroyed the result is the trade deficit of 800 billion dollars annually so what he means by that is the the destruction is the shifting of manufacturing base in America and moving it offshore and we saw the return of many manufacturers back to the United States uh, but it's uncertain at this point whether that trend will continue the result is a trade deficit of 800 billion dollars annually a budget deficit running three hundred to four hundred billion and a national debt of eight point five trillion dollars. Unfunded liabilities such as Social Security include can run the national debt to fifty trillion dollars. I believe that we are fast approaching a perfect storm scenario with a monetary collapse that most likely most like way it will way it will play out. Well, you know we did see a monetary collapse in 2008, 2009, and uh, I read a book, uh, I think it was called 2008, and in that book it predicted that there was going to be a collapse in 2009 just because of certain business cycles. And so we did see the excessive loaning because of uh, political policy, and then we saw the hedge funds take advantage of the arbitrage between the interest rates and the amount of debt that was outstanding as they bet against the banks. And they capitalized at least $150 billion. And several of the hedge fund managers made over a billion dollars. Because Americans are not saving and producing but are borrowing and consuming, we have become precariously dependent on foreign suppliers and lenders. America's unprecedented consumption and borrowing binge has put record amounts of liabilities in foreign hands. No fear if the dollar buying power remains strong. The Fed's job is to stimulate consumer confidence by adjusting interest rates and increasing credit availability. The Fed must allow, uh, must allow keeping 
U.S. dollar-denominated securities looking attractive to foreign investors. Foreign central banks use accumulated dollars to buy treasuries and mortgage-backed securities and help finance our growth deficits and keep the housing markets propped up. Is the U.S. economy too big to fall? Yes, it is. If the foreigners stop buying treasuries, our choice would be to further tax or default like Russia. And if we get to that point, well, I hope that Trump gets back into power and he repudiates our national debt and frees, sheds all this oligarchy uh, debt that's been imposed upon us. Due to insufficient domestic savings and proliferate government spending, an increased percentage of U.S. Treasury debt is held abroad. The dollar is going to collapse and the U.S. Americans are going to experience stagnation on an unprecedented scale in the form of recession and hyperinflation. Hyperinflation will result from foreign countries exchanging dollars into their local currency, making the local currency stronger and the dollar weaker. Recession results as more employment shift from manufacturing sector to the service sector. Yeah, and that's why he said earlier that the greatest legacy is not our wealth creation, but our wealth destruction. Because as you move to the service sector, uh, your wages decrease, the amount of profits that you make uh, are decreasing, and you basically move into a third world status in terms of income. Taxes will move more jobs overseas to outsource uh, using cheap labor. We saw that happen. The U.S. dollar's status as the world's reserve currency has shielded the U.S. from the consequences of persistent and growing trade imbalances. And we see, we know that the trade imbalances are inflationary. The Brent Woods Accords made the U.S. dollar the currency used by other governments and institutions to settle their foreign exchange accounts and to transact trade in certain vital commodities such as gold and oil. The dollar was originally accepted by the world as a reserve currency due to the Americans' unequal industrial might. Its status as both the world's leading exporter of manufacturing goods and the greatest creditor and its currency backed in gold. If the U.S. dollar loses its status as the world reserve currency, surplus dollars will come home, causing hyperinflation, a super tax, a day of reminiscing of the greenbacks of the continentals. Erosion of the manufacturing base is the fault of aggressive labor unions, increased government regulation, aging plants and equipment, too much waste, smugness about delivering quality for profits, has put U.S. manufacturing at a disadvantage. American manufacturers were driven out of business by more efficient foreign manufacturers, resulting in huge trade deficits as we imported items no longer produced domestically. Workers were forced to accept lower-paying jobs in the service sector. Now these jobs are being sent to third-world countries like India. Eventually, 70% of the service sectors will be outsourced to India and China. And maybe you could say, and Vietnam. Vietnam is also becoming a strong competitor in uh, those services. Technology as a GDP savior won't happen. We are simply not exporting enough information technology to pay for the real goods that we import.
the resulting trade deficits prove that our so-called information service economy is really a sham. And we said yesterday is what deflation is, is actually an improvement in efficiency and an overproduction of product and not enough demand, and that's deflation. The world no more depends on the U.S. consumption than medieval serfs depended on the consumption of their lords, who typically took 25% of what they produced. Will in China's internal consumption fuel its economy independent of the U.S. consumption? A lot of markets are really anxious to move into China because of its 1 billion consumer market. However, if the U.S. economy falls into deflation, China's economy will fall into deflation immediately. And it probably would precede America. Um, Quite to the contrary, China's own capacity to consume is much greater than ours, and the productive capacity needs to serve it is already in place in China. Chinese citizens now produce export goods from which they themselves derive no direct economic benefit. In effect, consumer goods are rationed in China so as to make them plentiful in the United States. Asia is overburdened with the U.S. IOUs. Like the serfdoms being liberated from their lords, their scarce resources will be freed to satisfy their own needs and desires, and their standards of living will rise. The Chinese now sacrifice to support the purchasing power of the Americans. If China allowed the dollar to decline against the yuan, America's purchase power would be defined by transfer to the Chinese. Factories would retool and labor would seek more productive employment. Instead of wasting scarce resources producing goods to export, China would produce goods for domestic consumption. That's great, but that still will not stop a deflationary force in China if the U.S. economy falls into deflation. Foreign markets are the most conservative place for your money right now. Wall Street holds conservative domestic investing to be conservative, but regards foreign investing to be speculative. And that's usually how I've seen it is that emerging markets are hot money and they can be put, that money can be pulled at any point if there is a change in the market conditions. My goal is to avoid the substantial risk I see in the U.S. market by seeking safe havens abroad. Invest in foreign currencies. That's what the author said. Invest in foreign currencies that are expected to rise significantly as the dollar falls. So he was betting on the dollar fall, and that and that's called inflation. When the when the dollar is inflating, it's devaluating and it's weakening against other currencies. Bonds can be bought and sold abroad. Current U.S. tax laws favor dividend over interest income, and apply to most foreign stock. And that, and that would be the capital gains uh, tax that's now uh, in force against uh, your earnings on stock. I made a, a specialty of conservative stocks that can be bought at undervalued price and provide a generous, dependable dividend yield. I like that thinking. I believe that you should move to uh, value investing as the economy gets, as, as uh, credit becomes more scarce and debt increases and it's more difficult to finance debt. The, the companies that are producing a dividend are 
fundamentally stronger than companies that are not and uh, so I would I would look for uh, stocks that were producing dividends also 10 to 20 percent 10 to 20 stocks provide adequate diversity electric oil and gas utilities are attractive equity and because they're utilities equity investments because they have a captive audience and enjoy constant high demand. Their earnings are predictable because they rise their rates and they can pay consistent high dividends. Utility stocks are somewhat bond substitutes. Many Canadian oil and gas companies pay dividends of 12 to 15%. I would like to know what companies those are. I haven't seen that yet, but uh, he claims that there are, are some companies that do that. Co-producers pay dividends averaging like 11% and companies like mining nickel, zinc, and lead pay 7 to 10%. That statement I want to research because that's, you know, that is incredible. And I don't see how time would have changed uh, that trend. The money supply M3 between 1980 and 2005 increased 20-fold. M3 included the following components of money, treasury bills, saving bonds, commercial paper, and other assets readily convertible to cash. Much of the money that has been created has gone abroad, and so consumers have not felt it in places. If we didn't have China, it would be a very closed system, and we were printing money the way we are, not producing and spending it all here. Consumer prices were already uh, off the charts. And it's getting higher now. I mean, gas is almost $4 a gallon. And things are expensive. Fast foods are expensive. Clothing is expensive. Cars are expensive. Everything has gone up. Homes are more expensive. But our trading partners, by accumulating dollars, haven't stopped inflation. They have only delayed its effect. One day, the flows will reverse with the Chinese and others using their dollars to buy consumer goods as well as properties in the U.S. In effect, the Chinese will merely repossess all the goods that they sold us on credit. That's a terrible thought, actually. Don't don't like that thought. And I hope it doesn't happen. I hope that uh, uh, that, that China pays for uh, the COVID and... and uh, those debts are forgiven. Actually, in the case of China, the one dollar peg has artificially kept U.S. imports low, temporarily suppressing U.S. consumer prices. The Chinese currency will rise, reflecting higher material cost and higher labor cost. When new money or credit is added to the economy, thus diluting the existing supply, the general level of prices, aggregate prices, will rise assuming the amount of goods and services within the system stay the same. This delusion causes the banks to raise rates to cover the devaluation. More dollars are required to buy a given quantity of goods. The dollar value is diminishing. Inflation is the monetary expansion. More money chasing a diminishing supply of goods and services. Anything that artificially increases aggregate demand for goods and services is inflation. The demand is artificial because it does not result from increased productivity, but from inflation. Inflation is paying today's debts with cheaper money in the future. The result is the prices rise. In true economic growth, prices fall as 
increases in productivity output rise the supply of goods relative to the supply of money.